0: We left off last time uh, with a um, with John having just witnessed uh, the opening of the of six of the seven seals uh, that are on this book that the lamb that only the lamb is worthy of opening. Um, remember, John is in a a heavenly uh, or a divine council setting. Uh, there are these four beasts standing on a sea of glass around a throne. And everybody's worried, who's, who's going to open the book? Uh, and they, they find somebody who's worthy to open it. It's the Lamb. Uh, and he begins to open them, and we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, and uh, the chapter ends, chapter 6, with uh, the, uh, a great earthquake uh, and a calamity in the sky going dark and the moon turning to blood. And then, uh, the kings uh, of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave and every free man hid themselves uh, in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. Um, So we're going to begin now to engage with Revelation chapter 7. Uh, where we'll find uh, a brief interlude, uh, and then the the seventh seal leads into a set of seven trumpets, which leads into a set of seven bowls or files that are are, uh, poured out in judgment. A couple things to remember as we're going through here. Uh, First of all, uh, we read about this uh, all last week in other passages in the Bible, right? Peter warned us Uh, Jesus warned us, they described how there'd be this enormous calamity at the end of time, like things wouldn't go peacefully, but rather there'd be this, all these tumultuous events would happen, and that's how they would know that the time of the end was coming. Uh, And we have described here in Revelation uh, a specific vision of what was going to happen. The other thing to remember, um, just a couple themes as we're going through, Uh, one, God never leaves People without a way to know Him, Uh, we're going to see that right right as soon as we get into chapter seven. Um, The other is uh, that there will always be people who do not turn to Him, no matter how harsh the judgment, no matter how awful what's happening around them is, because their hearts are hardened. Right? That's a a recurring theme over and over and over again. That that people do not turn to the Lord despite all these things happening. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about how that, uh, why that might be. Um, And we're, hopefully, uh, we've got a lot to read today, so I apologize for that. And I'm going to offer commentary as we go through. Uh, Next, it won't be next week, it'll be the week after, but um, we're going to talk about... uh, uh, you should come, you should come anyway, but we're, we're going to come anyway, it's great. Uh, we're going to talk about some, some like confusing issues in terms, like uh, many of you have probably heard the, the terms premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, uh, you know, pre-tribulation rapture, or mid-tribulation rapture. We're going to kind of look at the, the pivot points within the book of Revelation and talk about those and kind of unpack just what they are, um so uh and there are really three of them one is do do you think that the events that are described in this book have already happened because some people do they think everything that's already in it all biblical prophecy has been fulfilled uh so there's a group of people that think that there are others who, who think some has been fulfilled and some haven't uh and then there are others who think uh all all or most of this is yet to come um, another pivot point is the millennium, which we may get to today uh, in terms of our reading. But the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, is it, like, is it uh, symbolic? That's what an amillennial, an amillennialist would believe. Uh, but we're going to define all those terms and talk about them. And then the, the final uh, pivot point is about when the rapture happens. One of the things that you'll notice as we go through these uh, three sets of seven objects or seven signs that happen, uh, is that the timing is not very clear at all. Um, sometimes it's like, and then three and a half years passed, and you're like, well, if all of this is happening during the tribu- the, the tribulation, that's easy for me to say, the tribulation, uh, it seems like there's like 24 years of a seven-year tribulation, which obviously can't be the case, right? So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that timing and kind of... Uh, how things uh, are happening uh next time we meet uh one of the things that uh that you'll uh, or w- one of the the theories is that this is not a sequential like it's not one happening after the other they're kind of uh it's kind of rising action that's like uh, like a spiral or a um it's uh recursive almost so that some things are happening at the same time as others and we'll talk about how to fit that uh, into our, our reading of the, the book. So without, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into Revelation 7. Uh, it says, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or, any, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. So a couple things about this passage. um, And you may wonder why I read each of the... Why didn't I just skip over the part where it, it lists the tribes... Anybody notice anything about anything conspicuous about this list of tribes? What's that? Ephraim's missing and Dan is missing. Um, Ephraim is called the tribe of Joseph here, Um, and then Dan is completely missing. Um, And that uh, there are various uh, theories about why this is. But if you go back to the Old Testament. Uh, and you look particularly at the book of Judges, you will find that anytime there was a problem or an issue, uh, the tribe of Dan was at the heart of it. Uh, and then later on, uh, when the uh, the nation split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split from one another, so Judah and Israel, uh, one of the alternative names for Israel was Ephraim, the ruling family of that, that rebel kingdom was from that tribe, so that's very suggestive, right? It says these, these are a faithful remnant. Um, the other thing that you should notice here, it says that they're going to seal, uh, they're going to put a, a seal on their foreheads. Uh, if you turn back to Exodus, and you, you can if you wish, but you need not do so, uh, Exodus uh, 39 uh, is describing the, the uh, clothing that a priest would wear. Right, it, And it's going through it saying, here's the, the ephod or the breastplate and the, 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 the vestments that they would wear and all these other things. Uh, and if you look at uh, verse 20, um, 27, let's say, says, For Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver and the turban of fine linen, the linen headbands and the undergarments of finely twisted linen, linen, the sash was of finely twisted linen and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer, as the Lord commanded Moses. They made the plate, the sacred diadem, a diadem is a crown, or a, a, like, like, um, it's a thin band that goes across your brow, out of pure gold and engraved on it like an inscription on a seal, holy to the Lord, uh, right, separated out and sealed to Yahweh. Then they fastened a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban as the Lord commanded Moses. So, uh, so there's this is not my Bible. Um, I took this from the, the visitor's desk out there. Um, and there's a note in it that says, it's just a sit-up. So apparently somebody was having problems with uh, physical conditioning or something. They're very excited about it. it's It's just a sit-up. I can do it. Um, anyway, notice that um, the um like that's a direct reference right that these people are sealed to yahweh they're holy to yahweh they, they are they are a, a kingdom of priests um the other thing I'll, that we'll notice later on that there's another group of people that get a mark right on their forehead or on on their uh on their hands uh and that those are people who are sealed to the beast right the antichrist um, and it's, it's the same concept, right? You, you, you can't bear both marks. Um, so let's continue. Verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? Uh, I answered, Sir, you know. Right? How would I know? I'm not from around here. Uh, and he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Chapter 8. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. So a censer is a a holder for incense. It's a a bowl like that. It's suspended by a chain, typically, and you put fire in it, and it it, uh, burns whatever is in it. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now, I I, I want you to notice something here as we go along. Uh, As the trumpets are blown, uh, the events are awful, right? You're going to be like, man, I I, I would not want to live through that. Um, But there is mercy uh, in this stage of God's enactment of his judgment right, because only a third of the trees are burned up. Um, when we get to the the bowls, right, that that's the, the final outpouring of God's wrath and the end of his judgment, uh, and there's no hope left there, right, like Jesus told us back in Matthew 24 when we read last, uh, last time we were together, um, if, if God did not stop it, the world would have ended because of the, the enormity of the judgment, right, he says. So uh, that, that's what we're going to see with the bulls. Here we have um, God, he's not using kid gloves, you don't want to use that term because this is awful stuff, but there is some mercy inherent in what happens when these, when these trumpets are sound, sounded. And the, the second, the verse 8, and the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion, which he, when he striketh a man. Uh, anybody ever seen footage of, or I, I doubt anybody's actually seen a lo, a locust plague here, but has anybody ever seen like a, a video of locusts swarming? It's horrifying, right? They just crawl over it. It's, uh, you, you hate to be in the midst of it because they crawl over everything. So imagine a power that says, uh, to locusts, don't, don't eat the green stuff, which is what they're there for, right? Uh, only, attack, only attack these people who don't have the sign in their forehead, or the, who, who are not sealed to, to, um, to Yahweh. Chapter 6, And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts uh, were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their crowns were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. Uh, And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. So I what is going on here? Um, like what, th- this is a very strange image, right? It's nightmarish. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't know much, um, right? There are all kinds of like depictions in literature of uh, like literal depictions of, of what's being displayed here, um, and not much symbolic information. Like we don't have, like if you go look at the Old Testament, uh, there's not a one-to-one correlation with any kind of imagery there. Um, I don't know if this is a literal description. I don't know if it's symbolic. I don't know what it is. Um, if you read the uh, the book that this, um, this study is kind of based on and that it, it provoked me yeah. to do it, um, Reading Revelations Responsibly by Michael Gorman, uh, He contends that each and everything that is described in the passages that we're reading is entirely symbolic uh, and that uh, it it is not something that you will ever see. Uh, I cannot agree with him on that. It does not make much sense to me. Um, These images are horrific, but they are intended to paint something real, right? And also Jesus kind of said that all this stuff is gonna happen, right? Like the, the, the time of the end will be tumultuous um, and, and it'll be awful, right? So it's not, uh, t- to me, it's not acceptable to say, well, eh, you know, uh, it's not, uh, um, th- th- probably it's all symbolic, because what could that possibly symbolize, right? Uh, w- with so much specificity. Um, the other thing I'll say here is that that this description of events this is kind of a spoiler for a couple weeks from now, but... Uh, I can't accept the idea that all of the events that uh, are described here have happened already. There must be some future orientation to it, right? Um, because because Jesus said so, right? Jesus wasn't talking about, oh, the, well, the temple will burn down. No, he said there's going to be a conflagration so awful that people will wish they were dead. Everyone will wish they were dead. Um, the, the, the living will envy the dead. Um, and... Uh, if it wasn't stopped, the world will end. Now, the burning of the temple might have been awful in 70 AD, but I, I very much doubt that a large percentage of the population wished they were dead or thought that the world was ending. So something is going to happen in the future, um, and it's, it's going to involve this awful uh, catastrophe. So let's go back to v- verse 12. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By, by these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Right? So there's this idea that humanity, uh, as these judgments uh, progress and uh, escalate, becomes harder and harder and harder in its heart and less and less likely to repent. Um, Like, By by the end of this this sequence of events, you have the the worst of the worst, right? People who, who are estranged from God completely. Chapter 10. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Actually, I need to mention this now. Uh, we, someone asked uh, a bit earlier uh, in our study, uh, during the time when we were studying like the, the throne, about the seven spirits of God that are arrayed before the throne. Anytime you see the number seven, Uh, you may assume uh, pretty reliably that it represents completeness. It means the whole thing is there. Um, That's why 777, right, is the the number of God. It's also why 666, right, it represents incompleteness, right, or or imperfection. Uh, it's, It's like the perfect imperfection. Um, It also probably refers to a specific person, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, So anytime you see seven, assume that it means completeness and wholeness and fullness. Um, The the most of whatever uh, there are seven of. Verse 5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go, and take the little book which is open to the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This is a a weird little interlude, but it harkens back to, uh, to Ezekiel was given a similar book, and it harkens back to Jeremiah, who hated his job, uh, and it harkens back to Daniel, right, who also was uh, asked, like he was given a book, and it made him sick, like the things that were in it. Um, so this is a, um, it's it's not incredibly symbolic, like the, the, the symbolism is clear, right, like the, what what John is speaking is sweet to him, but it's also Uh, It's awful, right? It's full of awful things. Um, Chapter 11. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot uh, forty and two months." And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemy. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed." These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters, to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Uh, and when the, so, uh, God is going to send these two witnesses. Right? Um, remember, I said earlier that He He never leaves the people of the world without a witness, even when they they increasingly refuse to hear. Right? So we we saw after the um, the opening of the seals he sent these 144,000 uh basically messianic Jews right into the world to testify about him and to draw people to him uh, uh if if you didn't listen to them you'll listen to these guys he says and he says he sends these two witnesses uh who have uh who had the, the this power to resist being killed right it says they uh uh in verse 5, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Uh, they can shut the heavens. They can, right, they can control the weather. They have all these uh, abilities to, to issue plagues. Um, verse 7, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified, so Jerusalem. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Uh, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave, gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly." And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, that thou shouldst give uh, reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them that destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and a great hail. Um, I think I have just a bit. So uh, somebody asked me after the last time I taught, um, They, I mean, they they didn't say it quite this way, but it was. They said, uh, "Why, um, why do we teach out of this book, or why do we learn from this book? Right? It, I have enough problems now, so why, why do I want to worry about something that's going to happen 50 years from now, or 100 years from, now, or a million years from now, for all we know? So, why, why are we compelled as Christians to read?" read this book and understand it, um, especially since it's so difficult and, and at times unpleasant, right? A lot of the stuff we're reading is hard to read um, and hard to think about, uh, and uh, I puzzled over that. I didn't have an immediate answer other than, well, all, all Scripture is is good for instruction, right? Like, we're, it, it's in the Bible. People died to make sure it got there, um, and we, we should read it because it's, you know, it's God-breathed and good for us to know. Uh, and the, the more I thought about it, um, I, so I, I think it's uh, come with me on a, on a journey of analogy uh, here for a moment. Um, my dad used to occasionally um, record, um, if he could not see a sporting event on television, so usually Ohio State football, if he was working on Saturday or whatever, he would record it and then he would watch it on Sunday. Um, how many of you like to watch a close game live? I, you are, you're better people than me um, because I do not, let, I, if I am at all emotionally invested in a sporting event, uh, I, I do not like to watch it uh, if it's very close. I like a blowout, um, which is, is why I, I, have a, I have a real problem. My, so, my son plays tennis, uh, and uh, tennis is the kind of sport where you can get on a run. Um, you know where you if once you start losing, you're you're, you're probably going to lose, right? Because it, it just it just compounds upon itself, and you start doing self talk and right. So uh, I'll go and watch him, uh, and if he seems to be winning, uh, I'll leave because I don't <laughs> I don't want to don't want to jinx it or mess it up. So I like games where I know who's going to win right away, um, and. I think that the people this is addressed to, um, it is intended, well, I'm sorry, going back to my dad, Um, he would get really angry if you told him, like, why are you, the Buckeyes won yesterday, he would be like, don't don't tell me who won, right, but I'm the kind of person I would probably be relieved if you spoiled it for me, Um, right, because then I could watch it and watch the game unfold. And I think that's what this book does um, for, um, for, well, for us, of course. But this is what it, does, it did for early Christians as well, right? It, it spoiled the game. Imagine if, imagine if your life and, and eternal destiny depended upon the game, right? You staked your whole life on belief in Jesus Christ in an age when it could get you killed. It's important for you to hear the lamb overcomes the systems of the world, right? There's going, there's going to come a reckoning and justice will roll down like water and it will happen. It's important to know that, and it's important to believe it. There's a reason that John uses the, the language, that, the powerful imagery and, and uh, deep language that he does. It's because he wants to indelibly mark the people who are hearing what he's hearing with the idea that the lamb will overcome. And if the lamb overcomes, we're more than conquerors, right? Um, so I think that, that's the idea. Um, we're going to dive next time we meet. We're going to dive into a couple of images uh, that, that come up right after, uh, the like during this interlude. One is the, uh, the beast. Uh, the other is uh, the dragon. Uh, and the last is the false prophet we're going to talk about them um and what they represent in some ways they're uh mirroring the trinity right they're a, an unholy trinity uh and in some ways um that I want to draw out next week uh, or next time we meet they are um they represent the systems of the world like they make uh abstra- they take what rome is uh and personify it in different ways, and we'll talk about that. But what this book is calling us, it's telling us we will win because the lamb does, and we're allegiant to the lamb, and it's calling us out of Babylon. It's telling us to the extent that you can avoid participating in the world system, you should do it. Uh, the world's values, the world's systems, the world's ways of, of thinking and defeating its enemies, you should, you should avoid those.